0: Hello, audiobook fans. Welcome to another episode of your favorite audiobook-first podcast. Today, Harper Audio presents Challenging Texts. As we've learned in recent episodes of the show, narrating an audiobook is a difficult venture. It can be made even more difficult when the text does something beyond the ordinary with its language. Today, we're going to take a look at a few books that go for something different, difficult, and exciting- with the literal words inside it. First up, you'll hear from professional narrator and vocal chameleon Robin Miles, who agreed to sit down and talk with us about the most difficult but rewarding audiobook she's ever narrated, Barracoon by the late Zora Neale Hurston. Barracoon is an account of Zora's 1927 interview with Cudjo Lewis, who is the last person alive who experienced being transported from Africa to America as a slave. The book is a lost piece of history, spoken in a dead version of English, which Robin worked hard to bring back to life. Then, author of the upcoming novella The Gentleman's Guide to Getting Lucky, Mackenzie Lee pits herself in competition against the book's narrator, Christian Coulson, in a game all about forgotten phrases from 1700s England. Finally, we'll play a clip from Tang Hai Lies, Butterfly Yellow a novel about a Vietnamese refugee whose dialogue is written in phonetics with expert narration from Lulu Lam. So, let's start this episode off with Robin Miles. So, when you're doing when you're doing a book that has a lot of accents in it compared to one that's maybe more of a straight read. So, <laughs> yeah, does, does the
1: doing one right now?
0: <laughs> does the one with the accents <laughs> It, does it? It sounds in my mind's eye that it almost resembles like what someone playing in like an orchestra would have. Like it sounds more, like it looks more like musical sheet.
1: Music Actually, at the end, yeah, I would have to say I agree. Um, I do write things above it. I I give myself um, an initial letter so I know who's speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now, I've got Scots RP British. General American. Uh, what's the other? One? Oh, in Italian.
0: That's Italian can't leave out of Italian.
1: And so, yeah. and they're arguing, and they have <laughs> short lines, short, very short lines. And so, getting, getting the acting right is the most important thing, so that people come away knowing what they understand, the dynamic of what they just heard, mm-hmm. what just passed between these people. It was an argument about what, who lost, who won, who was the one who had. The edgy attack. Uh, who was the one? It, that is the most important thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Is like understanding the tactics that, that they're all the using. tactics yeah. that they're using,
1: yeah. and to what end? So, and that's like your basic script analysis <laughs> stuff. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden, you got a switch. Um, <laughs> that can be that can be extremely challenging. This book more so because the narrator in these particular chapters, is a British narrator. Mm-hmm. N- narrator, not narrator. The, vo- the voice narrator.
0: of the narrator. Right. The British, yeah. The, they wanted the RP. Yeah. They
1: wanted that very round sound mm-hmm. that you'd get, um, maybe like in a Harry Potter, yeah. kind of an, in the narration. Yeah. Or Shout
0: out to Jim Dale. Yes, exactly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, and I've done, I do that a lot. I have, British family members. I've got Jamaican family members. I've got family members, Jewish family members. We're kind of all over the place. And I'm so glad that that melting pot um, is not just a cocktail party (laughs) anecdote, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I actually get to put those things into real use.
0: Um, One of the titles, I mean, because I could do this all day. Honestly, I feel like one of the titles I want to make sure that we talk about, though, Mm -hmm. um, because we're focusing on books with a degree of difficulty in their language and performance. And I really wanted to highlight Barracoon, which came out uh, almost a year ago, a little more than a year ago at this point. So I'm I'm asking you to go back into the recesses of your mind of uh, a year ago. And when you were given this project, um, what did you recognize off the bat uh, that made it special?
1: Two things. The fact that... It's a man, and I've mm-hmm. been entrusted with his voice, um and not just his voice. I when I say voice, I mean in almost like the his what he has to say, yeah, that's what I mean mm-hmm. to say. Um, it felt special to me because he's not alive. He gave this final interview to Zora Neil Hurston, mm-hmm. and then it didn't really go anywhere, yeah. So his voice was plugged up after it was released, and I felt like, oh my gosh, i I will be able to give this man his voice back and let his story be heard. Oh my gosh, that's so humbling and ennobling. Mm-hmm. Um, you feel the weight of that responsibility of what did he want to say? What was he What was he feeling? What was he thinking? This can't be me and my interpretation.
2: Mm-hmm. This
1: needs to be. Let him through. Let him speak. So that was the first thing, I think, the weight of the responsibility. (laughs) The second thing was going through that dialect and trying to get to, what is it he's feeling here? Okay, if I string those words together, okay, I I understand the phrasing. Once you understand the phrasing, it begins to unlock the emotional content too. Mm -hmm. It's not just word to word to word. Um, What was the thing that he repeated? You know what I'm saying? Or he he had a phrase like that that he repeated all the time? Yeah, a sentence
0: ender in a way. Yeah. Um.
1: Um, But I understood what that was because of my connection to my dad's family, which was a Southern family in Virginia. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of the ways they used language were similar. So there's been an evolution over time for sure. But I was able to kind of reach back to what I knew and compare it in a way with what was on the page. Mm-hmm. And um, that was a challenge.
0: Yeah, It was very impressive to me to hear because it's it's not only, you know, a dead story, a lost book from dead people. It's in a lot of ways also like a very dead language too in the case of that. And so like there, I think like there was less references available to kind of help out with the planning of that book.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so what, what did
0: your prep work look like then? Well,
1: I um I I was listening to the situation that he was in mm-hmm. each time um the comments upon the thing. So it, what is the intersection of the event that this person is talking about and their relationship to it? Um and it sounded like he wanted somebody to know how he felt about the injustice of his son um his son's murder really. Mm-hmm. Um it was a matter of needing to speak out about an injustice and how hard that is to do when you've been silenced mm-hmm. um, and they were silenced. Yeah. Um,
0: it's really impossible to do under normal circumstances. Yeah. And like when you add all that in, it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. kind of, uh, I don't mean this flippantly, it's like unimaginable. In a sense, yes. In like a in like a modern context, to think of how how unimaginable that is.
1: I have an example that is burned in my memory. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, my mother's brother, my uncle Charlie, was a Tuskegee Airman, mm-hmm. and he did a lot of interviews because he wrote a book, and so he went on book tour. And, yeah. Um, there's a video that I have of him. as an interview, and. The interviewer was talking to him about an episode that happened. The He was a lieutenant colonel, mm-hmm. and the officers that were in the Corps, uh, when they were stateside, were on um, army bases. It was the Army Air yeah. Corps at the time. Mm-hmm. They were on army bases where there were German officers who were POWs, and the German officers were allowed to use the officers' club. The black officers were not. And so you cannot disobey a direct order in wartime. Mm-hmm. So what they did was two officers would go up to the door, The off, two black officers would go up to the door and make them turn them away. But then they could, those two same individuals could not come back. Mm-hmm. So another two would come another day. Yeah. And he was telling the interviewer the story and it was so painful to my uncle that he was tearing up and began to cry. And I saw him dabbing his eye in the video. The fact that his country that he was risking his life for could do that to him Mm -hmm. was so painful. Um, And yet it needed to be told. And so I have that in my mind's eye. And I remember there were parts of it where, um, speaking as Kudjo, there were things that elicited that pain. But you go, you keep walking through that because you need to get, the story needs to be shared. Mm-hmm. People need to know. Yeah. Sometimes they need to know because they need to know they're not alone. Mm-hmm. Others need to know because they need to know that something is not right in the world.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so that I think allowed that allowed me to enter on another level too.
0: That's an amazing piece of like emotional recall to be able to have like in your back pocket for that. Like I'm sorry that you have to have it burned into your brain, but that's a nice thing to have for this very particular uh, specific situation.
1: All yeah. the experiences that we have in life as an actor are fair game.
0: Talk to me a bit about mm-hmm. the, um, the actual transcribing, or, or sorry, the laying of the dialect over top of the phonetic difficulties of Barracoon.
4: Uh, what, what
0: was that process like? Were there times where... Where you would, would there be a disconnect between reading and comprehending and speaking at the same time? Does that make sense?
1: Uh, This book required more prep. So typically, what I would do is I'd read a book through once and I'm making Mm -hmm. marks as I go, or I finish a chapter, then I go back and make the marks. I think I did that once. And then each day, right, each day before I went in, I would take about 80 pages. And read that 80 pages in the morning before coming in Mm -hmm. because I needed to allow the rhythm in.
0: To like muscle memory for your mouth almost. You need to have said it out loud before. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And to remind myself the territory I was going into that day, which is what I suggest new young narrators do (laughs) because they're not... um, you know, they don't have the facility with it yet, mm-hmm. that that's a good idea to do so that your mind and your mouth are sort of in the same place when you start, not not 25 pages in <laughs> after you've warmed up because then yeah. that 25 pages...
0: It's gone. It's, it's lost. It's done. And that will make the authors very happy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um,
1: I have a similar situation yeah. right now, actually. Um, a Tall History of Sugar by Cordella Forbes... Um, she's a Caribbean writer. I mm-hmm. do a lot of Caribbean writers, um, trying to get the accents right that and different mm-hmm. between Antigua and Jamaica and really Trinidad
0: subtle difference.
1: There, yeah. there are, but they you can hear them. Mm-hmm. And once you're clued into them, you're like, oh, well, yeah,
0: can't unhear it. Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, you're you're from Barbados. You're Bayesian, right? Because I can tell <laughs> that, 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 that. okay. Um, she wrote a lot of it in um, patois, which in Jamaica we call patois. <laughs> um, but it's very detailed and very thick. And some of the times I looked at it and I went, I'm not really sure what's being said. So I just grabbed those, you know, 20 sentences. There must have been at least 50, 60 like phrases, mm-hmm. people talking to each other. Um, and she very wisely translates afterward what was said.
0: Oh, that's nice um, to have. And I could yeah. tell
1: what was being said most of the time. I could understand it mm-hmm. but I needed to be able to repeat it credibly fast. So mm-hmm. I had to ask her to do about 20 of them, maybe maybe yeah. more for me so that I could actually get the attack and the rhythm and the inflection right, especially mm-hmm. given what they were feeling, what they what they, the action that they're playing or the tactic that they're playing with each other.
0: Yeah, I guess it's one thing to be able to to understand and comprehend hearing it, but it's another thing to make it sound like it was a a Real thought coming from you too, like something that you would say, yeah, like in, in passing, and that that I feel like is the the real difficulty. Yeah, that's it's only half the battle to know what they're saying. Um, before coming into Barracoon, mm-hmm. what was your relationship with like with the work of Zora Neale Hurston?
1: Oh, oh sorry. well, of Zora
0: Neale Hurston,
4: yeah,
1: Zora and I we go back a ways <laughs> because <laughs> when I was a young newbie. Uh, working for um, American Foundation for the Blind, I was doing mm-hmm. a lot of the books for the National Library Collection. I did a book called *Tell My Horse*, which is a a, a book by Zora, and she went to it was it was almost traumatic. <laughs> she went to Jamaica and she went to Haiti, mm-hmm. and she was the first anthropologist to really explore the religious. And the ritual underpinnings of those two society. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, one of them is, the, is one country and then she kind of goes to the other. But at the back of the book are actual incantations used in Haitian rituals to call forth the gods. Oh, wow. And not only did she have them written out phonetically, but she also had them notated musically and rhythmically and I read music my dad was a drummer so mm-hmm. um um thank you dad <laughs> I have I have a strong sense of rhythm but I thought okay I could put these all together and I could be messing with fire here. yeah yeah Did you, I don't think I yeah, want to do that okay I don't think I want to do that
0: you anticipated my next question of of like any any gods you called out to with any of those incantations, but you 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 didn't I went, play with fire. I, I yeah. thought
1: that's why mess with
0: fire. Mm-hmm. But they were in the book, so you can go out and buy it. Mm-hmm. And if you yes. at home want to mess with fire, you, you can, can go <laughs> ahead.
1: And the, and the rhythms are there, and mm-hmm. it's notated. And but I I just decided I would play that a bit more conservative. <laughs> is and is, I had mm-hmm. read uh, oh gosh. Um, Eyes were watching God. Mm-hmm. And there was another one that I had read of hers. Um, I had never taken a class in Sora Neil Hurston's work or, or, or um, her contemporaries, et cetera. Although I became very interested in it. Um, Harlem Renaissance, mm-hmm. um, Nella Larson, the work of Nella Larson is just um, tremendous. Um, that type of literate writing. Um, a little pre Baldwin. Yeah. I'm a big James Baldwin fan. Um pre Baldwin. I've directed Baldwin, I've never narrated it. <laughs> um directed uh was it the Fire Next Time? I think it was Jesse. Mm hmm. Law and Order.
0: Uh Jesse L. Martin.
1: Yes. Jesse <laughs> There <Martin>. you go. <laughs> Um, yeah, I directed Jesse on Jesse Martin on a book and Dion Graham on another Baldwin book. Ooh,
0: but right. they're
1: usually in a male voice, so I don't get a chance to put them well, in my mouth. Well, it didn't
0: stop you embarrassing. <laughs> no, that's so, true. Yeah. And that's so all, true. to all the casting directors out there listening to this, don't let it stop you when you're doing your next James Baldwin book.
1: I think you've just touched on something quite potent, mm-hmm. and that is we have not really... I mean, this is a first, but we haven't really gotten to the point where we have cross gender casting. Yeah. Or even neutral gender casting. Um, cross gender implies there are only two, and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. we know there aren't. So um, I think that's going to be really interesting to see. I remember, gosh, you just brought back a memory. <laughs> um, so I remember I was reading Granta. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a copy of it, and they're, you know, fragments of book ideas that people are working with. And Martin Namus had a fragment of London Fields. Mm -hmm. The book was not yet written. And I was taken by this character, Nicola Six, and this sort of um, noir genre. Mm -hmm. And I wanted so badly to be in that genre, but I am from New Jersey. I'm not very cool. I'm not. And he wrote the book. I finally bought it. I saw it come out. And I decided my very first audiobook demo, I was going to use that book with a male protagonist.
0: <laughs> How did that go for you?
1: Not so well. <laughs> Not so well. Um, but I do think there are some instances where we want to allow ourselves to have that opening. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you've got people who are really non-binary who do not feel yeah. strongly one way or another, there's a lot of opportunity there, I think, that will soon um be coming to fruition I think
0: I think I'm kind of shocked that it hasn't already in the in the field of audiobooks just because I feel like the book itself, as long as it's not in a first person sense, mm-hmm. is Gender neutral, yeah, or it should be.
1: It can be. It can sure, be. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I'm shocked that it hasn't really. I feel like whatever, if, if it's a third person thing, and the author is a woman, then the narrator is a woman. And if the author is male, it, like that yes. tends to be just the way that it goes. But I I agree with you. I don't think that is necessarily
2: not
1: necessarily yeah. the
0: right like way to do it.
1: I've had two instances now. Mm-hmm. Um, I was doing a book. Oh gosh, see memory. <laughs> It was about the first woman in the NF in the NFL, in the NFL, yes, okay? Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, it was written by a sports writer, mm-hmm. famous sports writer. Give me a first name. I can help
0: you out with that one. That's my wheelhouse, I feel
1: like. <laughs> no, you'd have to throw them at me. <laughs> oh, gosh. But there was a, a big argument at the studio as to, okay, so we have a male writer. Mm-hmm. And we have a female protagonist. She's the first woman. But she yes. is surrounded by men. Yeah. The owner and the coach and the the boyfriend yeah. and all the other players. Mm-hmm. Should we – and she lives in France and I speak French and so they needed somebody and they're black players and white players and they needed someone to cover all those bases. Yeah. And so my name got thrown into the mix and there's a big argument as to whether it should be a woman.
0: Wow, that's but I got shocking! It. With the female protagonist too, that that was even like a but question. But yeah. the
1: majority of your scenes, you're voicing men.
0: Yeah. That's okay, though. And
1: that's kind of my—that's <laughs> one of my strengths. That's one of the things I'm known for. Mm-hmm. Is that if you stick me in a, in a landscape with lots of men around me, I'm going to be okay. <laughs> um, I did a romance series mm-hmm. of these three intrepid women. In each book, going across the Oregon Trail, <laughs> and they're surrounded by a bunch of men because mm-hmm. who was who were the other intrepid people at the time, mostly male. But that's, yeah, that's my thing.
0: We're running out of time a little Mm -hmm. bit, so I want to get two kind of quick questions in before we get out. Is Barracoon the most difficult book you've ever narrated? If it's not, then what is? Just from like a degree of difficulty in the text.
1: Wow. I would have to say, from a linguistic Mm -hmm. standpoint, um, Barracoon is probably the most difficult because there's so much depth to find in it. I would have to say, emotionally, it would be an untamed state by Roxane Gay.
0: Mm-hmm. Emotionally, yeah,
1: that you know,
0: those are tough to read. Yeah, uh, Roxane Gay just from like the how much is going on.
1: In um, she wrote that
0: sounds like I was telling people not to read it. That's not what I meant. Mm-mm. No, not at all. No,
1: she <laughs> yeah. wrote a brilliant story um, that has so many layers. Then. Um, you would guess at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, There's so much embedded in that book. It's fantastic. But emotionally, you know, you're talking about a woman who's gang raped. Mm -hmm. And um, that was, it stopped me several times when I had to just keep pushing through forward and let the emotion kind of just wash over me and then come out on the voice and then I could keep going forward. Yeah. So I would have to say. And then um, complexity-wise... I did a book by Nuruddin Farah, a um, Somalian writer. Mm-hmm. And the sentence length, the average sentence length, is six lines long. Interesting.
0: I didn't. Is that like a Somalian thing? It's Just like the way Somalian. that their language He's is. It's
1: British-educated. Yeah. It's a Interesting. British. Thing. Yeah. And if you look at the Caribbean writers, their level of complexity, like that linguistically, mm-hmm. is the same. And so, That's working on yeah. many of the Caribbean writers that I work on, Highly, highly complex thought, yet spoken from a position of humility. Mm -hmm. Um, It's interesting how they, um, I almost feel like they make themselves small enough to see everything in a landscape around them without prejudging it.
0: Gotcha. All right, last question for you. Mm -hmm. I feel like you've already given me a few of these. Mm -hmm. You've done so many audiobooks. What is still on your audiobook bucket list?
1: Honestly, I would have to say, it's it's classics. Mm-hmm. I am very well suited to classics. My grandfather was a, a Shakespeare professor and a Victorian poetry professor, and my grandmother was an English teacher. So I grew up. Um, I've said this before. I've told this story, but my nobody read me Charlotte's Web. <laughs> <laughs> well, I now, was read. Yeah. Curfew shall not ring tonight, and he shall perish by the wine cup in his hand. I mean, and Shakespeare. That's what I was read when I was a little kid. So Mm -hmm. I'm very, I think for me, it's the area of classics. And it's just begun to happen. Mm -hmm. I did Saratoga Trunk. Yeah. um, So that's... Um, that's the f- kind of I think my first real plopping mm-hmm. my foot down into that.
0: Well the best thing about the classics is that they're always re-recording them too. Oh, so good. you've got your chance I feel like. Yes. Yes. That's about all the time we have today, Robin. This Aww. was fantastic. We can Thank we can do you. it again. Thank we can do you. a part two. Okay. We can go for longer, don't mm-hmm. worry.
1: And the next time I ask you questions.
0: I'd love it. Okay. I don't know that the audience would, <laughs> but I would love it. Yeah. Cool. Thank you again to Robin. Barracoon is available wherever audiobooks are sold. It's now time for the game portion of the show. Mackenzie Lee's popular Montague siblings books take place in 1700s England. Christian Coulson was born and raised in England, though contemporary England. So, who will win out in a game featuring 1700s phrases that have long gone out of fashion? Let's find out
3: right now.
2: Hi, I'm Mackenzie Lee. I am the author of The Gentleman's Guide to Getting Lucky.
3: And I'm Christian Coulson. I'm the narrator, 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 depending, narrator, narrator, whichever you prefer.
2: Say it a couple more times. Yeah, no, just, I think to, like, I've just to test it. them
3: both out. So, we are going to find out how you would
0: both do in 1700s England with a little vocab pop quiz. So, I'm going to give you some old timey vernacular that would have existed at the same time as the characters in the Montagu Siblings universe. You're going to tell me. What these vocab words mean. So I'm going to give you three choices, A, B, and C. And I think to make this the most fair, since we're competing against each other, should I say like one, two, three, and you both yell out what letter you think it is? Oh, I mean, it's up to you. We can You're try in that. Charge. Yeah, this could be a huge catastrophe. This could not work at all. But we're going to see. We
2: have like five questions, right? Yeah, five. We can questions. Try five different things.
0: <laughs> try a different method each time. Okay. All right. So here we go. With vocab word number one, if everyone in town knew Mr. Webb to be a hottie-dottie, what kind of person would Mr. Webb be? Would he be A, noble and pretentious, B, fat and good-natured, or C, short and clumsy? How is that spelled? Hottie dotty? Yeah. H-O-D-D-Y. Okay. I, space can D-O-D-D-Y. Can
2: I get the country H- of origin, Hottie. please? Yeah,
0: it's 1700 <laughs> England. Hottie Dotty. Uh, Wait, what are my choices? Uh it is A, noble and pretentious. Okay. B, fat and good natured. C, short and clumsy. Okay. Do we think we know what our answers are?
3: Well. No. Yeah. <laughs> I know what I'm gonna say. Oh, All right, right.
0: On the count of three then? Okay.
2: One, two, three. C A. Oh
0: the correct answer is C, short and clumsy. Mackenzie sure. on the board with one point. Yes. Moving on to number two. Cam okay, ready. I'm warmed up now. <laughs> oh, she's moving in her chair. She's getting <laughs> in a striking position. Uh, a potential suitor makes a face at you when you tell them that you are a Ken cracker by trade. What is your line of work? Are you A, a pig farmer? Are you B, someone who robs households? Or are you C, a prostitute? This is a Ken Cracker. One word.
2: It's nothing to do with Barbies. (laughs) Can you read the options again?
0: Yeah. A, pig farmer. B, someone who robs houses. Or C, a prostitute. Okay. Okay. All right. One, two, and three. B. B. You are both correct. It is someone who robs houses is a Ken Cracker by trade. Uh, So moving on to number three then. Someone approaches you asking if you'd like to buy their vowels. What would you be buying from them?
3: Wait, how do you spell that?
0: Uh, V-O-W-E-L-S. Okay. Yeah. Would you be buying A, their gambling debts, B, their servitude, or C, their claim to land?
2: Buy their vowels?
0: Buying their vowels. That's the phrase. Old-timey phrase.
2: Okay, I full disclosure. I thought coming into this I was going to be fine because I've researched a lot of this yeah. vocabulary and then I realized like 90% of what I've researched is all all has to do with um, sex in various ways. I had so, a bunch of
0: words to look at and I specifically took out any that appeared in your novels. <laughs> Wait, what are, the choi- what are the choice answers? The choices were A, gambling debts. Okay. B, servitude. C, claim to land. If you're buying someone's vows. Okay. All right. I mean. Wait,
2: no, wait. <laughs> do you actually like have an answer or are you just guessing?
3: What do you mean? What's the difference? I'm just guessing one of those three.
2: <laughs> Did you like logic this out?
3: No, I'm just going to oh, okay. pick one that seems...
2: <laughs> I'm trying to logic this thing likely. out. Seems <laughs> likely.
0: What is logic telling you?
2: Well, again, I've read enough of these things that you can usually like work backwards from... And I just, I can't. Um, gambling debts. What was the middle one?
0: Servitude. And then C was claimed to land. Um Are you ready? I don't
2: know. Okay. We're gonna go sure. for it.
0: one, two, three. A. B. The answer was A. Gambling debts. Oh, <laughs> if you logic it out, you will realize that the vowels are A E, I O U, and it is in I O U. See, there's usually oh, some on. sort of
2: there's usually yeah. some sort of weird thought process behind it.
0: Great. All right, Christian, you really need to get this one to stay in the
2: game. Yeah, step it up. That's yeah. right.
0: If I don't get if you don't win then I think uh, I can only we draw I can yeah. only if you draw don't,
2: if you don't win you we draw
0: yeah we, hire an, do. We, we go to a penalty
3: shootout if,
2: oh I was gonna say yeah. if you don't win we hire a new audiobook narrator <laughs> well
3: that's fine oh, no. then I can go home I've been <laughs> here I've been here for six hours now doing two hours worth of work
0: <laughs> alright so number four you're making your way through the thoroughfare at a pace
3: described as Hubble D-Gee.
2: <laughs> this is nonsense.
1: Oh no, I that's agree.
3: actually I know how that's pronounced. It's Hobble D G. Because oh. my grandmother would say that.
2: Oh, interesting. Okay, well no, this is an unfair advantage then. <laughs> we need because another has a question. grandmother. No, because he's English.
0: <laughs> right? I'm gonna I don't have any other questions unfortunately. So we're gonna we're gonna go with it. Okay. Fine. Are you A trotting? Are you B sprinting? Or are you C walking very slow?
2: Can you tell me about your grandmother? <laughs>
0: In what pace well, I can tell you she, she she's like, yeah. dead. Is that helpful?
2: <laughs> in life, was she a fast walker? Was she a slow walker?
0: Mm-hmm. Did she, she
2: appreciate fast walking in others? She was mm. she
0: was really a, a hobbledygee, I think.
2: It sounds like a fast word because it sounds like a it it. I don't know. Okay. He knows, so. Are we ready? Yeah.
0: One, two, three. See. According to the internet, it is a trotting. What? I know. I'm getting death stares now at the moment. I'm not death staring you. You're... No, <laughs> I'm just confused. That's very surprising to me. Yeah, I was told that it is uh, is a pace between a walk and a run, similar to trotting. Oh,
2: you were lied to. That's not
0: what I was taught growing up. But I'm that's so fine. sorry. I feel like that no? just ruined the legitimacy. No, no, no. Of this very could, it could all be quiz. true.
3: No, I mean, he ruined
2: his childhood. But
3: <laughs> I mean, she wasn't alive in the 1700s, so maybe she was misusing it. Yeah, maybe it has changed uh, over time. So we got one left.
2: <laughs> the evolution of the that evolution word.
0: <laughs> of hobbledy or maybe maybe that is the difference between hobbledy and hobbledy
2: Like maybe, maybe. They are
3: two different. maybe it is. <laughs> so final you do, question. You don't
2: get a point for it though. <laughs> Either way, I got it
3: right. I can't win now. I've I already don't lost. Think you can.
2: But we are we're all winners here.
3: Great, like Exce- great
2: except yeah. you because you didn't actually win.
3: That's true. What's the uh, last one?
0: Question number five. Someone approaches you out of breath, informing you that your sibling is about to milk the pigeon. What is your sibling about to do? A, get into a physical brawl with someone of note. B, be made a fool of by a con man. Or C, attempting something seemingly impossible. So that's A, get into a physical brawl with someone of note. B, be made a fool of by a con man. Or C, attempt something seemingly impossible. This is milking the pigeon. All right. One, two, three. C, C. You both got it right to end out hey. the game. That is correct. Hey. Milking the Pigeon is attempting the impossible. Uh, thank you so much, both, for, thank for you
1: being so here
3: much. today Thanks and for playing you. this very, very important Preparing game. Preparing this game. Really <laughs> no important. problem. Um, I'll be using those regularly. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much.
0: <laughs> thank you again to Mackenzie and Christian for participating in that game. Christian, I am sorry for inadvertently disagreeing with your grandmother. The latest Montague siblings novella, The Gentleman's Guide to Getting Lucky, is on sale November 26th. We're going to end our show today with a clip from Butterfly Yellow by Tang Hai Lai and performed by Lulu Lam. This is a beautiful story and a unique book from the standpoint that most of the dialogue for its primary character is written out phonetically. Mimicking the challenge the character has as a refugee in a new place, Lulu Lam's performance makes Butterfly Yellow a must-listen audiobook. It's on sale now, so please pick up your copy after listening to this clip about the difficulties of trying to find Mesquite
4: Street. Not Mesquite. Leroy's mouth hangs open. Half chomped celery for all the world to see. Good God almighty, you can talk, he whoops. What she said came out all mangled. But one thing he's got is a good set of ears. Why are you asking if I'm a real cowboy? Of course I am, just look at me. She blinks at him. Talk, see, low, Talk what, slow, did you say please? He whistles. A sly one, huh? Never would have taken you on if I knew you could fend for yourself. This is a blessing for sure. Soon as we get to that precious address, that'll be the last you see of me. Got it? She taps his shirt pocket. Go, two, four, zero, five, messy, quit. He takes out the index card. The $10 spent. It says here, go to 405 Mesquite Street. Yeah, what I thought. She points to a word. Say again. Say again, mesquite. Not mesiquit. How you get from mesquite to that? Say again, she taps. Mesquite, mesquite. This here is it. He points to the twisty, bone-dry tree they're under, snaps off a branch while avoiding hellish thorns. Why some people think it's fun to gather and pound the seeds into flour, he'll never know. When the Comanches and settlers did it, they had no grocery stores. She holds the branch like it's a gift, massages the delicate, tear-shaped leaflets between her fingers, shakes a seed pod. Mutsi. Better, but easy on the S, he sighs. Don't tell me I've got to run some kind of pronunciation lesson now. Say again? Mesquite, mesquite, mesquite. Let's move it on out before I miss my chance of kissing up to Bruce Ford. While driving, Leroy keeps having to wrangle an unruly map and repeat mesquite, street, Amarillo, and Texas, until his tongue knots into a lariat loop. Of the many educational and cultural exposures his Yaley parents heaped upon him, Boy Scouts and the ways of knots were at least tolerable. He pretended to be on cattle drives while enduring wilderness survivals. As for the camps for budding mathematicians, biologists, lawyers, doctors, sociologists, tennis players, chess champs, inventors, sculptors, painters, pianists, and more he can't recall just now. Let's say he got very good at counting down the days, hours, minutes, seconds until pickup time. The more the girl talks, the more he gets used to her way of pronouncing things. If he waits, letting the context and syllables melt together, her words reveal themselves. Except he can't get her to stop hissing like a snake roasted alive every time a little S shows up in the middle or end of words. He never noticed English swarms with so many darn S's, starting to wonder how he sounds in Spanish to the real deals. Finally, they turn onto her beloved Mesquite Street. Not much to look at. Grasses yellow and tall. Fences rotting or toppled. Broken down houses too close together and all needing complete redos. They get to the end of the street and still can't find 405. Leroy panics. More moisture gushes out his pores. And here he thought he could not flush out any more sweat. Riding around with no air conditioning like a fool. No music either. She needs so much talking to he plumb forgot to crank the radio. He tells himself this torment will be over soon enough and forces an up note. Don't worry, none. An address doesn't just up and leave. The girl is blinking like she's about to have a panic attack. He looks away to not get any more involved. He parks and gets out to investigate, all casual, like it's normal as sunshine to misplace an address. She comes out too. It's getting toward late afternoon still bright but the air no longer bites he's got his texas hat she's unfolded a contraption that might as well swallow her you fit that hat in your backpack Pack, pack. he pats her bag she shakes her head like she doesn't believe him cousin took hat from her mother do not tell this girl is nuts He's not hanging around long enough to snitch to her cousin's mother about anything, much less a silly hat. There's 401, 403. Where 405 should be stands a building partly blown away, partly devoured by termites. A crumbling sign says something in Southern Baptist. The most sorry church Leroy ever saw. Two bars of wood nailed in an X block the door. No matter, his work is done here, having gobbled up much more than $10 worth of hospitality. Leroy glances at the girl, whose eyebrows are contorted and whose cheeks have drained of color. Right quick, he looks away and gets ready with parting words, good luck and you'll be fine and all that.
0: Harper Audio Presents is a presentation of HarperCollins Publishers. Our staff includes Beth Ives, Femetta Sawyer, Nathan Rossborough, and me, Andrew Caberline. Follow us on Instagram at HarperAudio and reach out to us on Twitter at HarperAudioPresents.